We are within the great Easter season, and I can't find it any more fitting than to begin a new topic, a new topic that we're going to take a look at within Scripture, and that is simply this cross encounters. We're going to be looking at that this week as well as next week. I wanted to ask you or, or just kind of make the statement that wouldn't you agree that knowing about something is completely different than encountering something, right? I mean, for instance, there are a lot of things in life that we know about, but there's many things that we've never had a face-to-face encounter over. I believe all of us know about God. I believe we know about church. We know about the traditions of, and we know about relationship. We know about Jesus. But my challenge and what I believe that God is challenging us is simply with this statement. But have you truly ever encountered him? Often we look around and see other people's great stories. I want to say this. The Umflets have a wonderful story right now going on in their life with their grandson, Joel. And to God be the glory for what's happening there. And what a great encounter that is. Many of you have had encounters within your own life where you have been drawn to a deeper sense of a relationship with Christ or with God. But there could be some in this room who you have the knowledge of. You've accepted, but you're, you're still longing for that moment. Or maybe it could even go as far as saying maybe you have encountered before, but it's been a long time since you have felt that richness of Christ's spirit. Occasionally, we could become jealous thinking that, God, I would like to encounter you like I see other people encountering you. We will look at what, especially within services like this, to the right, to the left, and see someone else who is just totally engulfed and encountering the presence of God. And so we become like this, God, you know, I'm not feeling it. So what's going on? What am I doing wrong? You know, if we're not finding what we are looking for, then maybe, just maybe, we are looking in the wrong places. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and this is going to be our theme, for, theme verse for the next few weeks, and this is what the Word of God says. It says, and pay attention closely to this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are what? Being saved, it is the power of God. What do we know then? That the message of the cross is the power of God. Now watch this. If we are not having an encounter, if we're not having a godly encounter, if we're not having an encounter with God, it very well could be that we are skipping over the cross, the message of the cross, looking within the wrong place. I truly believe that if we want an encounter, then we have to go to the right places, right? If you want to encounter, and I love this, and you see this especially where we live. If you want to encounter a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise, you go to social media and you look at everyone else's pictures, right? And everybody likes it or hearts it or 
has a comment of all that is so beautiful. And it is. I look at them all the time. I rarely like them because I want to experience it for myself. And it's just, I ain't doing that. Too early in the morning. I got other things to do, right? But you sit there and you look at it and you become kind of awed in it for that moment. You know, you're like, wow, that's really beautiful. But what you're receiving in that picture is because someone else had an encounter and that encounter was so attractive to them, it caused them to do one simple thing and that is what? Share it with everyone else. So what does that tell me? That means I need to get up early. I need to go to the beach at dark with a cup of coffee, right? And sit there and watch the sunrise so I can be in awe just like they are. There's something to be said when you encounter something so special rather than hearing about everyone else's encounter. Now, here we go. This is the best season. I love this part of the year because it's baseball season. Anybody love baseball, right? Throw your hands up. The rest of you will pray for you. I hope the Lord saves you. Okay. I love baseball, and, and every year we do our best to get the Camden Yards two or three games a season. There's nothing like it. There's an atmosphere there. You know, you get to, I watch baseball on TV, and you can last three innings maybe, four tops, right, before you're like checked out, all right? But when you're there in the moment, it's something different. You're sitting there with other people around you who are excited about the team that you're cheering on as well. It's kind of like church, isn't it? right? Okay, maybe that's just me. I don't know. But you're sitting there and you're, and you're, and you're, it's funny. Last year, we went to an O's game and they were playing the Yankees, all right? Oh, oh, I didn't like that one at all. I'm not going to say what ran through my mind. We'll pray for you later and me. And so, you know, we went to the O's game, and, and it was me, Andrea, and the two boys that were sitting there. And I promise, there was more Yankee fans in the stadium than there was Orioles. And, but there was this, these people behind us who were, they, he was a firefighter from New York City. He had him and his wife out there, and there were some other friends. And, man, they traveled with their team because why? They liked the experience. They've had an encounter. It's exciting. You get there. It's fun, the atmosphere. There's something to be said. What? When you encounter something. How about this? Now, this one I love. I experienced this one last Sunday evening. And if you want heaven within your mouth, you watch for the lighted sign at Krispy Kreme Donuts. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? Krispy Kreme. That is God sent, son. God sent his son for Krispy Kreme. Okay, here we go. So... You know, we're sitting, we're, we're, we're in Norfolk, and, uh, you know, we, ha- we had a dinner with, with Kyle before he went out on his deployment, and, and, and so we're, 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 we're there, and Andrew's like, we need to go to Krispy Kreme. I was, that's a prophetic word. That was the prophetic, right? You could see the, the, the ads on Facebook. You could see what people look at me with my donut, you know, and that's great, but there's nothing like, what, experiencing it yourself, right? There's something to be said about that. Well, if you're looking to encounter the power of God, you have to go to the cross. There's no way else to do this. You must go to the right place. Think of me, uh, God, you know what? I want more of you. I need more 
of you. There's no better way to look at the power of the cross by taking a look at three guys that we're going to look at throughout Scripture. We're going to take a look at these three people who were very close to Jesus on the cross. I believe that each one has a different story. They had different trials. They had different experiences that will allow you and me to look at their encounter and to help us and lead us into what I believe will be your own personal encounter, and that is at the cross. We're going to take a look at three guys who were sentenced to die on a Friday. These three men were convicted criminals. Each one was convicted for crimes that were simply against their government, but there was one who was also a murderer. A few more crimes, I guess you could say, that were stacked up in comparison to the others. Think about it for a moment. Imagine what that night would have been like for them. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to, uh, I don't watch news so much on TV, but I stay plugged in news within the internet. And a lot of times while I'm looking through different sites of what's going on in the world, there'll be some type of an article pop up of of someone who did, uh, you know, uh, horrendous crimes. And and because of that, their their judgment was death. And I will read about that. And instantly my mind always goes to what was going through their mind right before those last few moments of their lives. And I can't help but think the same thing with these guys who were tried and found guilty, but they were about to go before their death on that Friday, and in their mind, they had to know how gruesome, how brutal, how torturous of an execution that they would be going through. These three men were facing this very next day. Earlier that night, though, we're going to look at a little bit of a backstory. Jesus is with his disciples, and one of his closest friends betrays him. He turns him in to be arrested, and the rest of his, what, closest friends began to scatter. That sounds familiar, doesn't it, when tough times come sometimes, huh? And so we see here with the story of Christ that he's thrown into what is considered as an illegal trial, a court within the middle of the night. He's got false accusers coming out of everywhere, and they begin telling lies, spreading false about him, crowds gathering, noise in the streets, an uproar takes place. And then you have these three prisoners just kind of sitting within their cells, maybe thinking, well, what's going on out there? What, 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 how could this possibly reflect on us? What could happen to us because of this? What were they thinking? What was possibly going through their minds? Then they begin to hear the rumors between the soldiers speaking and that possibly one of them may be set free, that Pilate would be releasing one. I'm sure, in my mind, Barabbas, the murderer, the worst of them, so we would characterize as, obviously he would not be the one who would be released. After all, the the other two, they were more just rebelling. They were rebels. They were going against the government. They were fighting supposedly the, what, system. I wonder what they were thinking about, though, in that time. I wonder if they were even within the same room together conversing what might 
be? What could be happening? This man, Jesus, he's now on the trial, and this Jesus, this guy we have all heard about, maybe they're saying, five days prior on Palm Sunday, the crowds were what? Waving palms of tremendous excitement and worship. In fact, the Bible tells us that they were singing Hosanna, Hosanna, which means what? Save us. A few days before, this man Jesus was being worshipped, but all of a sudden, everything changed. Everything that they had believed, everything that they thought, everything that I, I wonder even what was going through his mind. But you have these three gentlemen, these three guys. They thought they were ushering in, you know, their new king supposedly, but in reality, all these people were simply doing was bringing the spotless lamb to be sacrificed. So all of this is happening, and you have these criminals who would be headed to their crosses, crosses that were made specifically for them. We'll pick up our story in Luke chapter 23. Verse 23 through 25, it says, But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. In other words, what? They got what they wanted. Verse 24. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. That is who? Barabbas. We understand that. The one they asked for, and they surrendered Jesus to their will. The first person to encounter the cross was the murderer, who was meant to die on the cross that Jesus took his place. We can all relate to the murderer. It's the side of us that allows us to sin or causes us to sin. It's the side of us where we mess up. Yet, that's the same part that Jesus chose to go to the cross for, to set us free from. Barabbas, a, a prisoner, a murderer, the worst of the three by our standards was set free by the cross. What does that tell me? What should that tell you and I? That the same cross that he was set free is the same cross that has been placed for us to be set free as well. The murderer was looking for freedom, and he where did he find it? At the cross. Have you ever felt in prison? Have you ever felt trapped in your life? I remember a time in my life, a time that I can't, I, I don't say this boastfully whatsoever, but I was in sin. A time where I was overcome with guilt and overcome with shame. Felt as if, you know, I was chained up and, 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 and shackled with no way of escape, no way for freedom. Almost like a chaotic uh, a, a, a place, a, a claustrophobic moment within my life where everything seemed to be caving in. Everything seemed to be crashing. Probably like maybe he felt in this moment before he was set free. Maybe like how you feel today what do we know what do we what can we draw from this illustration 
that is given to us through the scriptures is that Jesus wants to take your place as well. That the same Jesus wants to release you as well. That when we are looking for freedom and we are looking to break those chains, that we can understand that we can go to the cross and receive exactly what it is that we need to. We can go to the cross. Jesus, what? What did he do? He willingly desired to do that for you. He wants to take your place. John chapter 8, verse 36, gives us this proclamation, this anthem for our lives, so to speak. So if the what? Son sets you free. What will you be? Free indeed. Can you imagine the emotions in that moment for Barabbas? What does this even feel like? Wakes up that day thinking he is headed to die. But not just die, but also suffer an agonizing death upon a cross. And all of a sudden, because of Jesus... He is set free. We don't know what happened to Barabbas from that moment on after he was set free. We don't know if he believed in God from that moment on. We don't know where he stood with God. But you can only imagine that there must have been some sense of worship that must have exalted from his body, from his mouth. We see it within the world today. People who don't recognize God, but when something good happens, what do they first, what do they do? Thank God. We do that. Thank God. You know, let's take a look in Colossians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 13 through 14. It says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with who? Christ. He forgave us all. Everybody say all. Our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. In other words, what we owed, he canceled out because of the cross. Which stood against us and condemned us. We understand this. Condemnation does not come from God. Condemnation is simply to do what? R help you run away from God. Take you away from God. So which stood against us and condemned us. But watch this. He has taken it away, doing what? Nailing it to the cross. What did he do? He nailed our sins, our debt. He took away what we owed. What did he do? How did he do that? He nailed it to the cross. So watch this. Here you go. In your, in your notes, when we are looking for freedom, we what? Go to the cross and receive. We go to the cross and receive. I love this. The second guy we're going to look at in this story uh, that is presented in Luke is one that I've named as the scoffer. We don't know any of their names, but what was he? He was hanging on the cross. This guy was what wasn't really supposed to be there with them, but now he is. Who is he? Jesus. But this guy, the scoffer, is right beside the Son of God. He has a perspective that some of us have from time to time. Luke, continuing in verse 39, says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. 
Aren't you what? The Messiah. Save yourself and us. Can you hear the attitude? Can you hear the arrogance? Can you even experience the bitterness right there in this man's heart in his life? Here he is dying for his sins. And everybody said, this guy who's beside me was supposedly the savior, was sent by God. He did great things. He healed people. Dead people rose up because of this guy. People who were blind could now see. People who couldn't walk could now pick up their mat and walk away and follow him. People who were possessed with evil spirits were set free. The man whose voice would even calm the storm. A man who, would, who, who, who felt the power go from him when a woman just touched the edge of his garment. This guy who's there beside Christ on that cross possibly may have heard all of these stories, but now he's seeing this same Jesus. He's hurling insults. He's showing doubts. One translation says that he scoffed. You know, there are times when we doubt. There are times when things seem to, to get really bad. And so we go through a tragedy. Something goes horribly wrong. And the enemy will do this. He will throw doubt at you. So here's what we do. We, we begin to question. God, are you real? Are you really even there? Is what happened on the cross a reality? So even as a follower, sometimes we will scoff and we will even doubt what our Savior had done. Can you be right next to Jesus but yet still not believe? Can you be in church and still not encounter the power of Christ? Can you be in doing the right things and still miss his presence moving through you? See, the criminal could not have been any closer to Jesus, but yet he still did not have an encounter with him. We see one of the 12 doubting Thomas. One of the disciples spent three years with Jesus. Even after experiencing everything that he experienced about Christ, witnessing his teachings, being in the boat, seeing even Peter walk on water, being there when the thousands, the multitudes were fed because of a little boy brought a few fish and a few pieces of bread and Jesus multiplied it and did the miraculous. Doubting Thomas, who was always around, he was part of the inner circle. He has the nickname what? Doubting Thomas, because he doubted. But even after knowing that Christ rose from the dead, he still said, you know what, I don't believe it. Until what? I see his nail-scarred hand and put my hand in his side. I think doubt is in all of us from time to time. I think that it is what was in this criminal in this moment. When he was hanging there beside Jesus, he was at a point of decision. The cross was a crossroads of faith, I guess you could say, if you would. To believe or simply not to believe. For this man, a decision had to be made. The cross 
pushes us to go one way or another. There's no standing in between. You're either going to serve or you're going to reject. You're either going to believe or you're going to have doubt. It's impossible for us to be neutral because of the cross. Was he the son of God or was he simply just a good guy? Unfortunately, this scoffer, he decided not to believe. We can go to the cross, though, when we doubt. We, when our circumstances tell us and screams at us that God is not real, when all of this is happening, we can go to the cross, and we must do this. Go to the cross and believe. Believing in who he says he is. Believing in who split time. The third encounter we're going to look at is the one who I'm going to call the worshiper, the other criminal. Scripture doesn't give him a name, but I think this is where we can see how he reacted to the position of the cross. We have the scoffer on one side. Now we have Jesus within the middle, and we have the worshiper on the other side feeling the same pain, the same nails. He's looking over at Jesus, the only one of the three who received, what, the 39 lashes across his back. Lashes that were full of glass and stone and lead that was woven into a leather strap that whipped against his flesh. Jesus was, what, beaten, spat upon, ridiculed, humiliated. It's even said that when he was put to that cross, he was unrecognizable. So this other criminal hearing the scoffer mocking Jesus. In verse 40, he says this. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. What was that sentence? Death. Look how, look how all of this is happening in these few moments. You have one man who was a murderer of the of our standards was the worst of them all and was set free because of the Christ. You have another man in this moment who was sitting there and he's got doubt and unbelief because this guy did so many great things, but yet he's still on the cross dying and he's not understanding. So he doesn't have belief. He rejects him. And then you have this other man on the other side. He says, Do you not understand the same sentence that we have is death? You know, Brad touched on this uh, last week in one of his songs. And and, and I can't stop thinking about this story that was told to us at the conference that him and I attended. It was the persecuted church within China. Brad couldn't do exactly what they did because he was playing and and everything. So I'm going to kind of let you see and give you the illustration here this morning. But this pastor was in China, and he was there to, to minister. And one of the, 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 the bishops of the persecuted church, the underground church in China, uh, said, I want to show you something. And so he took this pastor, and they had to go into a hidden place uh, away so everything could be seen, obviously not, because they would be in a lot of trouble. If they were. And the pastor went down into the like the cellar, so to speak, and 
He saw a room full, a room full of men and women and children in there. And here's what they were doing. They were sitting down on their hands, and they were just rocking back and forth. Rocking back and forth. And, and the pastor didn't understand. He's like, I don't get it. Why are all they doing? And tears running down their face. They're just rocking back and forth. And so the, the, the pastor looked at the, the, the bishop and was like, why, why are they doing this? What, what, what's going on? He goes, they can't, they can't clap their hands. They can't make any noise. And watch this. They want to worship God so bad that they have to restrain themselves so that they're not persecuted and put to death because their love for Jesus Christ. And so they sit on their hands and the only way they can get that energy out that's inside of them is by rocking back and forth. We find it hard sometimes just to uplift a hand, don't we? We find it's hard sometimes just to clap because we live in a place of spiritual freedom. Here we have Here we have this worshiper, this other man on the cross. Luke 23, 41 says, we are punished justly. In other words, we deserve to die for our crimes. A different perspective than who, what the scoffer was, who had an arrogance, had a bitterness, maybe even felt like he was falsely accused. But it says this, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, I love that, Jesus. Can you imagine in that moment, can you imagine the cry in his voice? You know, I'm going to say this, uh, Friday, I was home, uh, the boys got out of school, and so I had picked them up, and we had come back home, and I was sitting in the dining room at the computer doing some work uh, on the message, and uh, my boys are in different rooms, one's playing Fortnite and the other, I don't know what he was doing at the time. And uh, all of a sudden I hear the youngest one, Caden, daddy, daddy. And I got up and I did what I normally, I, I responded and I walked over and, and I went into the room that he was and he looked at me, he very puzzled. How did you know where I was? I didn't tell you where I was. I said, well, I'm your father. It's my responsibility to always know where you are. And when you called, I responded. Now, what something hit me when I said that to my five-year-old son that has impacted me since, and that is this. While I wasn't physically with my son, I still heard his voice and responded to his call. What more? Hold on, no, 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 no. What more do you think your heavenly father will do? And he knows where you are. He's just waiting for you to say, Daddy, Daddy. Come to my rescue. Amen. Said, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in what? Paradise. What is so awesome uh, about this is that you can never sin too much, too severely, to horribly, to not encounter forgiveness at the cross. 
the criminal, the worshiper, was forgiven instantly of his sin, of his mistakes. And from that moment on, from that day forward, we know that he spent eternity with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For it is by the grace you have been, what, saved, through what, faith, something that the other criminal didn't have, all right? And this is not from yourselves, it is what? The gift of God. So what are you getting from the gift of God? You're getting your salvation, you're getting the grace, and this is going to tie in from the last one. What else are you getting? Faith. Not by works, so that no one can boast. The fact that the criminal goes to heaven immediately proves the scripture. That we can't even uh, buy our way into heaven. We can't work our way into heaven. We can't uh, stack up the good things in contrast to the bad things and weigh them out and say, well, surely I can make it to heaven. I love Galatians chapter two. We understand that the wages of sin is death, that someone had to what, die for our sins, that the payment for that is death. But watch Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I have been crucified with what? Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself for me. When we need forgiveness, we've sinned. We've covered, we're covered up in guilt. We're covered up in shame, disgust, regret. We know that we can go to the cross and what, what can we receive? Forgiveness. We can go to the cross and worship. I want you to stand with me this morning. If you would, I want you to realize what we have been given, forgiven for. Evaluate your sin. Evaluate your unworthiness. Take inventory and realize that that's what Jesus nailed to the cross. I remember February the 6th, 1997. I, you guys should definitely know the day that I was saved. Because I tell you all the time. Because it's the greatest day of my life. Because that day set my future for eternity. When I gave my life over to Jesus Christ, Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the Lancaster Host Hotel. If you ever go up there, you go by it. You could be like, that's where my pastor was saved. We go by it. We were up there in the fall and they were doing renovations and I wanted to stop in, but it was closed off. And uh, one day I'm gonna get back in there because I wanna just kind of relive that moment. You know what I mean? But I remember the months after that, that, that special moment in my life where I would be in a worship service like we are now today. And, and I wanted to focus my attention so much on Jesus. I didn't want to be bothered what was going on with the person beside me or around me or, or what was happening. And here's what I would do. I would close my eyes and I would just do this. And I would try my best to picture Jesus on that cross for all of my sins. 
And as that worship time went on, my focus was on the crawl. My attention was on the crawl. And I was able to see my Savior as my mind allowed me to to put it together as an image and go, Lord, I love you. I thank you for dying on that cross for my sin. I thank you, God, for giving up your son for me, a wretched sinner, full of filth, allowing actions to come from what is supposed to be the temple of your Holy Spirit, allowing corruptness to flow through, but my mind would be centered on the cross. And I would say, Jesus, I love you. I thank you for saving me, for giving me a hope and a future in you, for for going through the humiliation that you went through, the pain, the torture, all of that, Lord, you went through that for me. He went all of that for you. Even before you existed, you were on his mind. He was thinking of you in that moment. He's saying, now, you know what? I do this for Gordon. I do this for Bobby. I do this for Winnie, for Sarah. I do this for Tommy and Tommy, for Andy. I'm doing this for you. All of this, I'm doing it for you. I, I sit there and I think about Barabbas. We're talking about three guys here. We really only ever focus on the two. We don't know what happened with Barabbas. We, we don't know what necessarily his future. We have ideas, we have opinions, but we don't necessarily know what happened from that moment on in his life. I see Barabbas as representing the world. Jesus says, I've died for the world, but it's up to them to do with it, with what they wanna do. The Barabbas is the society that we live in. It's the world that we're in today. Jesus said, I died for what? All humanity, for everyone who would be willing to accept what I've done for them. And then we look at the two criminals, the ones that we feature a little bit more heavily. And you got the one who's the scoffer, pretty much making fun of Christ. Oh, you're so powerful, take yourself off of here. Blah, 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 blah. And then you have the other criminal over here going, you know what, why, why are you saying He doesn't deserve this death. We deserve it, he doesn't deserve it. And he looks at Jesus and the Bible says he cries out to him, Jesus, remember me. What is that? That represents the church. That represents the people who are willing to accept Christ. Is that you today or you as the scoffer? the one who rejects. There's no in-between, there's no neutral. It's one or the other. My prayer today, this isn't even a life application message how I typically go about. This is a salvation moment. Here we are in the season for salvation, always, obviously, but right now we're centering it on the cross. So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning. And I want Brad and the team to play a song, worshipful, And I want you in these few moments to sing with them. And you know what? Envision the cross. Envision the cross. 
Envision Jesus on there. Don't, nobody leave. We're not done. Envision him. Go ahead. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. Sorrow may come in the darkest night, but the cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. People may put up its strongest fight, but the cross has the final word. The cross has the final word the cross has the final word the savior has come with the morning light and the cross has the final word the cross has the as the final word he traded death for eternal life with the cross as the final word I want to ask you today continue to keep your eyes closed if you would if you could say to me pastor I want to give my life over to Jesus Christ today. Today, I want to be the day of salvation for me. I realize that I need to have this encounter within my life. I need to encounter the cross. I need to encounter Jesus. Today is the day of salvation for you. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. I see those hands, those hands. I see those hands, those hands, those hands. It's all over this room hands going. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's pray this prayer together boldly. Lord Jesus, today I commit my life to you. Save me. Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. Make me free. Lead me, Lord, and guide me and protect me. And from this day forward, I will live for you. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen, amen, amen. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. We've not done this before. A lot of times we'd offer you salvation. You'd raise your hand and then you leave, not putting anything in your hand, no, no more. I want to give you, today you gave your life to Jesus Christ. I want to give you this. It's called, you've chosen to follow Christ. What's your next step? And I personally want to pray with you. So if you are here today, make sure you see me before you leave. And I want to get this in your hand. Let's pray, guys. Father, I love you. 
I thank you for this day. You have done great things, tremendous things in this house. We have felt your spirit. You have moved in every life. Father, may we always come to the cross and have an encounter with you. Move in the lives of your people, Father. When they leave here, Lord, equip them. Give them your strength and your power, Father God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, and Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer.